We are in a series of sermons that we're calling Brave, and we're looking at characters in the Bible that God has um, shown us some amazing things through, and today we're looking at the life of Job, and I'm calling this sermon Suffering for No Apparent Reason. Sometimes we suffer for doing wrong. I think most of us understand that. If we sin, we put ourselves in a, in a place after yielding to sin that we're vulnerable and it can cause pain for us and for others. Sometimes we sin for doing the right thing, suffering for Christ, maybe even persecution. We see that in 1 Peter 4. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. But I'm not talking about those kinds of suffering today that our sin or, or, or for doing right persecution. This is what I'm talking about today. When we suffer for no apparent reason, we can't figure it out. Why is this happening? Tragedy strikes us and we don't get it. We see a man in the Bible right here who doesn't deserve suffering and has greatly experienced it. Job 1.8. Let's pick it up there. Look on the screen or touch to it. Turn to it in your Bible. It says this in verse 8. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. Now there's a pretty good thing for God to say. So let's just start there. The finest man in all the earth in that day. He is blameless. A man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, Yes, but Job has good reason to fear. You've always put a wall of protection around him in his home and his property. You've made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. Now I want to stop here and I want to turn to something I don't think most people notice here. God was covering him. Because he was a righteous and a good man, he had all kinds of covering. And when we walk in the Lord's ways, we get covering too. And, and, and we get the blessing of the Lord much more so than if we don't. However, that does not mean that even with those who do right and are good and love God, that we'll never have trouble in our life. Even though we get this covering from God, there are times where the Lord allows things to happen in our lives. Pick it up in verse 11, but reach out, this is the enemy speaking now, and take everything away he has and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. So I want to talk to you today about things that we can remember when we're suffering for no apparent reason. I have three things that I want to bring to you. And the first is pretty obvious from that thing we just read, that text. Bad things happen to good people. This is important that you get this in your frame of reference for your theology. What's theology? Theology is a comprehensive understanding of the balance of God's word, the truth of God's word. Theologically, there are a lot of people saying that if you pray and you're you're honest before God and you do the right thing, you won't have any trouble. There are people who believe that in this world and they teach it from the pulpit. It's not true. If you look at Moses and Joseph and And any man or woman of God all through the Bible, Jesus Christ, you see that they endured suffering. It wasn't wasted suffering. There there was a reason, but some of them didn't know what the reason was when they were in the middle of it. And that's where we pick this up with Job. 
So now that's been said, the enemy can release his hand. Look at these bad things that happened to the most blameless man on the earth in that day. Verse 13, one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided us, they stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, I want you to notice that all of these things happen one upon the other. One announces the tragedy after tragedy after the other one's done. And this is my personal experience. Often, when you have several things that go wrong all at once, you can recognize that it's an attack of the enemy. If he really wants to discourage your soul, your heart, he'll not only hit with this, but this, this, and this at the same time because he wants to make it overwhelming to you. So how do we deal with these things? The Bible's going to help us with this. While he was still speaking, verse 16, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and your servants. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. And oh, no, 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 not this. He says, your sons and your daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. And suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed and all your children, there were 10 of them, are dead. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. It's important to realize that even the choicest servants of the Lord suffer in this life. Trials and hardship comes their way. Joseph was enslaved, literally sold into slavery by his family. David mistreated by Saul when all he was doing was serving him well. Jeremiah the prophet arrested and put in prison in stocks just for reading the God, the God's word. A man born blind, uh, and, and had to endure 30 years of blindness, but God had a day ordained for him. This is in John 9, 3, where he would be healed, a day that he had prepared for his glory. Good people go through bad things. Be careful not to be that person who thinks, well, what have they done to, uh, to deserve that? Be, or or, or to, to get that to come upon them. What have I done to deserve this? Be careful with those words. Matthew 5, 45 Here's what it says, for he, it's talking of God, gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. This is not heaven. Heaven's a place where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death. The old order of things passes away. This is not heaven. He causes it to sh the sun to shine on good and evil, and, and he lets the rain come on good and evil too in this life. Matthew 7, 25 says this, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. I find it amazing that most people will share about that story. You build on the sand or on the solid rock, and, and, and if you build on the rock, it stands, but they don't recognize that the solid rock, the one that was built on the right foundation and trusting had the same storms and the same flood and the same hardship. It was there for them too. John 16, now we come to Jesus, right? He's the one we're following. And Jesus says this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. 
The thing that he's about to say actually brings peace to our lives. In this world, you will have trouble. How does that bring peace? Well, man, you got a bunch of people saying if you have trouble, it means God doesn't love you or God doesn't like you. No, Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble. So stop believing all that mess that you've heard out there or that you've conjured up in your head and start understanding that even the best of people have hardship and trials in this life. It's true that they don't bring as many on themselves. It's true that they have the covering of God, but sometimes God allows things for the purpose of his glory being seen and his wisdom beyond what we understand. But Jesus did say, take heart, I've overcome the world. So even though there's trouble, even though the winds blow, if we'll stay on the solid rock, if we'll keep our hand in the hand of Jesus, something good comes out of this on the other end. Pastor Brad, one of our pastors, has a son named Willie, and Willie's a baseball player. When Willie was 12 years old, he was playing in a tournament in Beaverton, and there were 12 to 15 years old. That's quite a span in this tournament. Uh, there's a lot of dif difference physically between a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old. And unbelievably, it would come to bear in this game as Willie was the catcher. And there was a 15-year-old who was just a stallion, just, just physically ripped and strong and a great athlete. He, had, he was on third base and a fly ball was hit, so he's going to tag up. That means he waits for the ball to be caught. The moment it's caught, he leaves the base and he can run home. And the throw is made, and Willie, the little 12-year-old skinny kid, is there to catch it. And here comes this big 15-year-old bearing down on him. Willie catches the ball several steps before they get there. They have him dead to rights. He's gone. And instead of giving himself up or, or trying to get in a hot box and get back to his base, several steps out, he decides he's just going to go hard and blow Willie up. And he comes in, and he hits him so hard that Willie just goes flying. He hit him so hard and so blatantly uh, after he was thrown out by so much that they threw that player out of the game. And as a matter of fact, when he complained, they threw him out of the complex. But the amazing thing about it all was Willie, that 12-year-old, held on to the ball. So he was out on that throw just from the, the, from the play, the evidence of the play. And afterwards, Brad, Pastor Brad got in the car with him and said, Willie, that was amazing. That guy hit you so hard. How did you hold on to that ball? And these were Willie's words. The 12-year-old kid said, I knew I had to hang on to the ball because I didn't want to waste the pain. <laughs> so in this world you will have trouble. It'll come bearing down on you sometimes. But if you hang on and you trust in the Lord, you can know that you're not going to waste the pain. We're going to come out on the other side of it victorious, either here, there, or in the air. Now let me talk about that for a moment. When I say here, there, or in the air, I mean that sometimes we go through a trial and the Lord may he bring healing. We believe in healing here, so don't misunderstand on the sermon. We pray for people and we see physical healings here. Sometimes he does that. Sometimes he, he, he won't do something immediately, but he'll do it down the road. That's here or there. And sometimes it's not completely resolved till we get to heaven. Meaning we, we never really completely understand it. But here's the thing about heaven. Even with the loss of our loved ones, that's the place where there's going to be no more sorrow. We can be reunited and death has no sting for the believer. And I say this. I don't need God to resolve all my pain in this life. If he chooses in his sovereignty not to let me know what everything was about, I say he's still worth trusting. I mean, what are the alternatives? Right? The alternative is to trust in ourselves, to trust in others, to draw in. 
But we find out if we hold on to God when we can't understand that he makes something beautiful out of it here, there, or in the air. Second thought today, when you can't track God, you can trust him. I'm sure this made no sense to Job. Why in the world would this happen? He knows he's lived righteous before the Lord. He loves God. When trials happen, we can't help but wonder, I've done it, you've done it. Does God know what I'm going through? Does he care? I think this is a great thought. Did you know there are no instances of meaningless suffering in the Bible? Not even one. That if God's servants go through something, he resolves it with beauty somewhere down the line. There's no meaningless suffering as we trust in the Lord. I believe that the book of Job was written to let us know that God cares and to show us the best way to respond during trials and suffering. That's why Job's there. I'm pretty sure Job didn't know that was what was happening in the moment. Pretty sure he didn't know that not millions, hundreds of millions of people's lives would be blessed because of that book. How many here, it not, not, from not, not today encouragement, but in the past, you've gone through trials and the book of Job has encouraged you when you read it? Just lift your hand if that's happened, okay? Look around. That guy's life, because he held on to Jesus, he didn't understand, he couldn't track him, but he decided to trust him. And look what has happened because of it. Immediately after the loss of his possessions, wealth, and the death of of all of his 10 children, here's how he responds. Now, this book is written to show us how to respond. When the trials come, Job's, Job 1.20, Job stood up and he tore his robe. This is right after he heard him coming, one right after the other. The next scripture. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. What? And he said, if I, I came naked from my mother's room, and I, womb rather, it's kind of a room, and I will be naked when I, when I leave. Karen had a twin. She had a womb mate. That's very cool. Okay. The, the Lord gave me, the Lord gave me what I had. And the Lord has taken it away. And listen to what he says. Praise the name of the Lord. Oh, my. I'm not saying it's easy to do what he said. I'm saying it's best. I know that is hard in times of trials for me and you to do. But if we can get there in our hearts, it's really true. If we can have that kind of trust in God and we can turn to him in things that he, he, he's there in a powerful way, we empower him to work in every area of our lives beyond these moments. And then it said this, and I want to talk about this for a moment. In all of this, verse 22, Job did not sin by blaming God. Evidently, it is a sin to blame God when the trial comes. That's what, that's what that says there. Now, it's okay to ask why. It's okay to say, I don't understand, because Job does it all the way through, but he never sinned by blaming God. It's not okay when you say to God, this is your fault. You did this. Because here's what you're saying when you're, when you're praying. If, you, if we blame God, what we're doing is we're looking to heaven and we're saying, you're bad. Oh, my. Now, he can love us even when we do that. But when we go that way, we're turning away and we're taking our hand out of his and we're saying, I don't want you to walk with me through this. I'm gonna do it on my own because you're bad. Don't do it, don't do it. One of the great takeaways from Job is, though it makes no sense, trust him 
But don't blame him. His wife blames God. Here it is in the text. Interesting that, he, that the enemy, Satan, killed all of his children but let his wife live. Why did he let his wife live? Because he's got a plan to use the wife to do the very thing to bring about the temptation. And this is what he told God. If you take your hand off him, when I hurt him, he will curse you. And listen to what she says. The enemy's working right through her. His wife said to him, are you still trying to be godly when God has done all this to you? She's blaming him. Curse him and die. That's what Satan said. He will curse you and die if you let me touch him. And he comes through this lady, his wife, to speak it. And look at Job's reply. You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we, shall we accept God, good from God, and not trouble? And all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. Now there again, I, I want you to notice that it's speaking of words and not thoughts. Did you know you will not be judged for every thought? Because the enemy can come and give a tempting thought. You can be tempted by your own thoughts. But, but it's, it's when we give way to the thought and move to action that the sin comes. And so when it comes to this blaming of God or saying things we shouldn't say, we need to understand that we need to catch it in our heads and not let it come out of our mouth. Here's what the word says. Take captive every thought that sets itself up against the truth of Jesus Christ. So what we have to do, I'm not saying, look, I know you've made mistakes, and so have I. But we're talking about the apex here, aren't we? We're talking about winning these battles. We're talking about getting better as we go forward. And, and, and so we take the thought captive. We say, I'm not going to speak those words against God. He doesn't care. He, he doesn't see me. He doesn't love me. His friends came after his wife. And they started saying really rotten things to him, like, you must be a terrible sinner. You are a terrible sinner. I, I just want to say, if those guys are friends, I'd hate to meet his enemies. You're a sinner. Job knew he hadn't sinned. He knew that wasn't the deal. He didn't understand what was going on, but he knew that wasn't it. He told him, you don't know what you're talking about. And then he says these amazing words in Job 13, 15. This is in the context of his friends giving him trouble. Though he slay me, Yet will I hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Job is showing us the way. When you can't track him, keep trusting him. Keep trusting in him. Because that is where you ultimately find blessing and victory. I want to talk a little bit about some of our trials in our family. Last year, my daughter... Uh, was going through a, a terrible battle emotionally and physically. And she, she normally has held me back on this stuff, but she's let me talk a little bit about today. I asked her. She developed Graves' disease about three years ago, maybe four. And Graves' disease is, is when your thyroid is overactive and they had to radiate her thyroid and, and kill it. And that's the, more common than you would know. Um, and only 100 and, one in 300 get Graves' disease. But then after that, uh, there's still complications that ensued as she developed uh, thyroid eye disease. And that's where your eyes start moving forward, pushing forward, and bulging. And I'll tell you, uh, it's hard for any young woman to go through life uh, looking the way they look, let alone develop something that's taking that away too. I know not, not very many women, young women I know, really think they're beautiful, right? 
And God's made you all beautiful. And, and um, so her eyes start pushing forward and it changes her look and she starts to emotionally go through a major battle. And then to make matters worse, after that second year, we, we move into where, to where it's painful because the optic nerves are stretching tight and she has migraine headaches every day that are debilitating, even to the point where she eventually develops double vision. Now it's hard to get around. She doesn't want me to tell anybody about this, you know, in the past. She, she just wants to let it be, you know, let a few people pray and, and when it's resolved. Well, so we're, we're battling. Now, this happens over a three-year period where I'm, I'm seeing this happen. I'm watching my, my child hurt. And mom and dad, you know, when they're hurting, sometimes you'd like to make a deal with God. How about putting it on me and not them? I don't know if, God, not now, please. And I would go to God, and over those three years, honest to goodness, I prayed for healing at least a thousand times because I was praying several times a day for her. And God was not healing her. Now listen, I believe in healing. I've prayed for scores of people that have been healed physically in my life. I didn't do it. I just believe in him and he does it, right? So I know the way in these things and I'm coming the way of faith that I know and I'm praying and my daughter's not being healed. I'm saying, God, what's going on? And listen, every time, every time I prayed for her, I heard these words, do you trust me? That means I heard them over a thousand times. Do you trust me? I'm doing something in her. Do you trust me? Well, yeah, I, I trust you, but couldn't you heal her and still do something in her? You know, we, we go through these things, right? And it, it just didn't happen. And eventually, uh, because of the debilitating headaches and, and the double vision, it wasn't just cosmetic, it was physical. They had to do what's called an ocular decompression on Candace. And what that is, is they cut your eyes, right? They cut the side of your eye right here. They take the eyeball out of the socket. They take out the fatty tissue, which they still don't know why that grows like that. That's why it happened. And then they shave the bone all around the eye socket. And they did that on both sides of her eyes. Put, her, put them back in her head and sewed her up. And I remember the first night after the second surgery, they were a couple days apart. She was in so much pain and so swollen that we were in her room, ice every 15 minutes for 24 hours, I think, or 48, whatever it was, and it felt like she was dying. Now, I, I don't want to demean, some of you have been through so much more pain than we have, and, 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 and I, I don't want to belittle what you're going through. I just want to tell a part of our story where we didn't understand. Candace was in a battle, and we didn't get it. What is going on? And you can't track him, you still got to trust him. Then, about the time she was having her surgeries, I found out that I had cancer on my, on my lip. There was a little, like, pimple right in the middle of my lip. And when they checked it out, they, they, they discovered that it was basal cell cancer. So they went in. This was just last year. And when they went to cut this, they found that it went up, and it was underneath the skin, not shown in my lip. And it was a little bigger than the size of a quarter. So they cut out just a little round spot in my lip here, about halfway down into my lip. They had to cut out cancer. I was on the table for 11 hours. The most surgery took seven times. That means they cut, and they, they want to make sure they don't go further than they need to with most surgery. So they cut and test it to see if they've gotten the perimeter of it. Seven times they kept coming back and saying, we didn't get it. We didn't get it. Got to go again. So 11 hours I was on the table. People were praying. I'm laying on the table thinking, 
Ah, uh, God, they're taking my lip. I need help. And I said this to God, God, if you want to take my looks, they're yours. I give them to you. They're yours to take. I was thinking I'm getting uglier every day. You know, as I, as I grow, if that's what you want to do, Lord, I, I'll, I'll trust you. They had to take out a 16th, not only the, 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 about the size of a quarter, but the 16th of an inch of my lip, which means that nice little smooth, cool thing that you have on your lip. I don't have it on the right side. It'll never reappear. They've curled it up. I've had four revision surgeries since then. And I just had the last one six weeks ago. I try to do it when I'm on vacation because uh, I want to come back here and talk when I get back, right? And um, this beard is actually because they want the sun to stay off of the, uh, that, that, that surgery this summer. And, and so Candace and I are at home last year, uh, a little over a year ago. We, we both have surgeries with numb lips where we can't feel our lips on our right side. Talk about weird. And, and all we can do is say, Lord, we don't get what's happening, but we're going we're gonna to trust you when we can't track you. And believe me, Candace was going through a battle. And man, emotionally, I just had to tell her, he's good. He loves you. The way is, we just, let's just keep trusting him. Because here's what it says in Psalm 145.9. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Psalm 62.8. Oh, my people, trust him at all times. Pour out your heart. For God is our refuge. Where are we going to go if we don't go to him? He's our refuge. He has compassion. He has the power to deliver us. He's the one that brings us on the other side. We don't understand the duration. We don't understand when we're in the trial. But we understand he loves us. And he's either going to heal us or he's going to take us through something. But we trust him. And we decided to trust him even though we couldn't track him. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't depend on your own understanding. Sometimes you just can't track him. You just can't see where it's going or what it's about. But you trust. That's the way. That's the way Job saw, and that's the way the Lord brought him through. Candace's situation about why this has all happened isn't resolved yet, but I'll tell you this. <clears throat> This, this was all happening, this, this eye thing and the surgery, just before she was to go on a media tour for the release of her first album in mainstream music. And you talk about painful. She didn't know if she could get there and, get, and even show up. Now she's doing a new album in Nashville, and I'll tell you something, the songs that have come from her are different these days as she writes. There's compassion that's deep. There's an understanding for young ladies who don't feel beautiful. And there's something coming through that is an angle that is beautiful that the Lord's showing that wasn't there before. I'm, I'm believing that in this new album she's doing in Nashville, her second album now, that God is going to use that music to touch young lives. And as for me, what's happened to me? I just have the best beard known to mankind. That's been the result as we go forward here, all right? And then third, as we're looking at this, when suffering happens, we can either flee from God or we can cling to God. Job decides to cling. I want you to look at the way he trusts, though everything has been taken from him but, except for the wife who tries to get him to curse God. Verse 11, my feet have closely followed his steps. 
I have kept to his way without turning aside. This is the way. How do, how do we make it through the trial? I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. In him, we move and breathe and find our being. In him, we find the peace that we need. In him, we find the hope to get to tomorrow, and, and tomorrow's hope provides hope for the next day, and eventually, we're out of the darkness, understanding many years down the road, either here, there, or in the air. And here's a deep thought for you. By Patrick Morley, who is, who is the inspiration, his book, How, How God Makes Men, was the inspiration for this series here, and I want to give him credit for that. Here's a quote from Patrick Morley in that book. God grows his children by allowing us to gain through suffering what can be gained no other way. He wants to touch people who are in pain. Can I tell you something? That a lost world who's been through a ton of pain is not blessed by your testimony of never having any? They, they think if you, if you act, and I act like, because it's never true, if we act like we never had any pain and everything's peachy keen, you know what happens? They think, well, God must like them because I've had all kinds of trouble. He, he won't want to have anything to do with me. But if we let them know where God touched our pain, where God met us, where he helped us, where he brought us through, where he showed us that he loves us even though we're not perfect, then they say, hey, maybe he'll love me and help me because I have pain. This video is of a young woman named Mona Kruger who's been through a lot of pain, but like Job, she decided to cling to God instead of to run. Watch this. It was Thanksgiving Sunday, 1982, and um, I was on my way back to my college campus when the car I was in skidded on an icy bridge and smashed into another car. I flew out the back and landed into a pool of gasoline that ignited. About 30% of me was burned, uh, my face the deepest part. I lost everything. I lost my hair, my nose, um, eyelids, eyebrows, all of my lovely skin and um, definition of feature. There's something about our identity that's very tied to our face. Um, it's how people see you, um, how they react, the memory. And when you lose that, it's hard to describe the devastation of that. Multiple surgeries attempted to restore what I had lost, but surgeries can only mitigate, they can't give you back. I could not have faced um, these last three decades without my faith. When I was in college, I accepted Christ two weeks before my accident. That has made all the difference to me. My self-worth um, has to be based on how God sees me, His love for me, and not how the world sees me. I think that great loss can bring us to a crossroads in our life where we either flee from God in anger or we cling. I choose to cling. And I have hope, hope that I will lose these scars someday. And I long for that restoration. But in the meantime, I'm an advocate um, and a peer supporter for other trauma survivors. One thing that I've learned over the years is that there's some worlds you can't penetrate unless you are one of them unless you wear the same badge, carry the same shame, that the knowing is sacred. I am alive to tug a lost world toward Christ. Jesus suffered beyond our comprehension. The Bible tells us that he would be so disfigured, beaten, injured, 
like one from whom men hide their faces. That verse has always spoken to me that he gets me like nobody else can. He left glory to take on scars, to redeem mine and the world's. Mona, she has family members that attend here and she attends here from time to time. And that video was done by our media team here. Isn't she beautiful? Her spirit is so amazing. I have a question for you. What if she had blamed God? What if she had said, I don't want to have anything to do with you. You allowed this to happen. Here's what Jeremiah 17 says. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on, on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They're like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited, salty land. When we say we're going to go through it and without God, it's a terrible, terrible place. If Mona had not trusted the Lord, instead of being an advocate for burn victims, helping them through their pain, and she not only helps burn victims, she goes to the schools of, of the children that have been burned and trains the children how to respond to that burn victim, that child, when they come back. God took the ashes and he's making something beautiful out of it. And God's touching hearts because of this woman. And he'll do the same with you and I. I like that thought by Dave Reaver. Take the stick that the enemy beat you with and beat him back with it. Bring, bring the glory and the love of God into the situation to let people know. To, to stop people from experiencing the pain that you've, that you've experienced in the past. God can do it through our lives. It goes on to say in verse 7, but blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. It goes on there in Jeremiah 17 to say, they're like trees planted by the water, growing strong and green and, and, and bearing fruit. And so, so there's only one way to go that'll make a difference. Go with God through it onto the other side and let him show you that you can gain treasures through suffering that could be gained in no other way. Some of you know Bo Stern, and you may have noticed on Facebook this morning that her husband passed away, ALS. She's been here a couple times to speak. You know that as they've experienced that, that pain that they've been walking through with ALS, it's a terrible disease, that the Lord has been doing something deep in Bo's heart. And the wisdom that she speaks with, I'm telling you, in pain, when people lean into God, there's treasures of wisdom that he'll give them to help others who are experiencing pain. And they know it to such a depth that the rest of us can't understand it, but when we hear portions of it, it ministers to our hearts. And it applies in every, the depth of your pain is so deep that it'll apply to every situation when you talk to people as the wisdom of God comes forth. You say, how could God use such a thing? Well, I find it interesting, and God's not done with this either. But Bo, who's a writer, has a blog and she wrote about ALS, and she's a Christian writer, and God's in her stuff. And over a million people read her blog about her husband and ALS on one of the articles. She was chosen to be an advocate for ALS in Washington, D.C., sitting before the Senate, talking to those committees about what can happen for this terrible disease. She's ministering to families who are trying to figure out they don't know God. How in the world do we find our way through this? And she's leading people towards God who are having this kind of pain in their life. 
I don't understand all the pain that Bo and her family's had to experience. I'm sure she wishes it wasn't there and we wish it wasn't there. And yet, Steve is strong with a new body in heaven today. And yet, she will see him again. And I believe hundreds and tens of thousands will be touched by Bo as she goes forward and that wisdom pours from her life. Here's ways that we gain. God gets glory out of our pain. When Lazarus died, God brought glory in John 11 by raising him from the dead. But there's this thing, I call it the doctrine of perseverance. We have a doctrine of healing. Yes, God heals, but God allows circumstances for these reasons. Uh, Romans 5.3, not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings. This is what we're talking about today. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. That's in the Bible too. How about comforting others? I know there are people here today that have gone through unbelievable tragedies. And I know when they see other people go through the same tragedy, I've watched them reach out and love them. And I'm telling you, when somebody has experienced pain in a certain area, nobody can touch that area like a person who's experienced it as well and, and can tell them about how God has helped and is helping them through it. We find that principle in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians 1.41, comfort others with the comfort you have received from the Lord. So, here, there, or in the air, we're going to win if we just trust Him. Here's how it ended up for Job. Granted, it took a lot of years for these things to transpire, but it happened. So the Lord blessed Job at the end of his life more than at the beginning. For now he had, and all these, all these numerical things here, except for the children, are double. Twice as many sheep, 14,000. 6,000 camels, twice as many. 1,000 teams of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys, twice as many. God also gave him seven more sons and three more daughters, and it says that his daughters were the most beautiful in the land. And then in verse 42, it's speaking of his life at the end. A lot of years have gone by now. And then at last, he died an old, old man. And look what it says. After living a long, good life. After that kind of tragedy, which I personally don't know anyone who's experienced it all right on top of the other with 10 children and you know, all that. I mean, unbelievable pain. And yet he had a long and a good life. On the other side of the divorce that you didn't want, that you didn't deserve, is God who loves you and will walk you through it and still give you a good life. On the other side of the loss is still a good life that God will bring, even if it's the loss of a loved one. On the other side of your pain and the loss of your business, if you hold to him, is beauty that he will show you. And you can still live a long and a good life, even though you've experienced intense pain. Job went from it couldn't get any worse to it couldn't get any better. Unbelievable. I want to encourage you, like Mona spoke there, we actually used her words for this last point. Cling to God. Don't flee from Him. I'll close with this story today. Years ago, when I was traveling and speaking at churches and camps for youth, we had just one little guy then. Candace wasn't born yet, and it, it was Aaron, our firstborn son, and as we traveled the roads, we'd sometimes be on the, on the highway for six hours before we reached our destination to speak, to participate in the ministry that was going on. 
So we had this little guy, I don't know, eight to ten months old, Aaron, around that age, and he'd have to be in the car six hours a day sometimes. So we'd have to stop several times a day. It's not, not that easy. I'll tell you this, he's still a great traveler today. But something happened that was interesting. Every time we were traveling and it was dusk moving to dark, when it got so dark that he couldn't see his mother and I anymore, he would start to cry. Now, what is darkness for the little guy? It's, it's fear. It's daddy, mommy, where are you? It's I can't see you anymore. Have you ever been in a place where it seems so dark that you can't see God the Father? But when Aaron would start to cry and it was getting dark, I would always reach back from my bucket seat and I'd reach and take his little hand and every time his little hand went in mine, he stopped crying. Oh, there you are, Dad. Okay, everything's okay then. I think that's what God would like to do with some people today. In the darkness of what you're experiencing, he'd like to just take your hand and say, it's okay, I've got you. I'm going to help you through this. You're going to get to the other side, and I'm going to bring some good out of this terrible thing.